The morning grows close, and the silence of the world in the hour before dawn is broken by the sounds of doors opening, the grate of wood against wood. Cranston Walker has returned to the Black Oriental Hotel. There is blood on his face, and the veins below his eyes are dilated, making the skin dark with exhaustion and lack of sleep. A few blocks away, Gabrielle Blake enters the little shop a fuzz about for his seamstress. She expects it to be empty. The seamstress should be at the hotel. This has been a night of fire and retribution, of secrets and impossibilities. It's time for Neon Disabel. This episode of Neon Jezebel will continue in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Throughout history, brave men have answered the call of justice whenever the authorities could not. In America, we have the local vigilance committees. These modern-day Robin Hoods operate wherever crime does. They don masks so that the shopsters, lawbreakers, and gangsters of the underworld cannot exact vengeance upon their families. The last year has seen a sharp rise in crime in our fair city, the devil alcohol has a stranglehold on many of our citizens, a hold so tight that it will take more than a constitutional amendment to break it. It will take the courage and dedication of the men of our law enforcement agencies to exercise spirits once and for all. Answering this call is none other than the Silver Sabres. The Silver Sabres are the oldest and most storied vigilance committee in New York City. They not only uphold the law, they uphold the heritage and tradition of the Empire City itself. Their leader is Silver Star, who has the honor of being the only vigilante deputized by the state of New York. Anyone on the team can tell you, he's the brains of the outfit. The brawn is Silver Fist, standing and imposing 5 feet 11 inches tall and weighing in at 220 pounds. Silver Fist is impossible to miss. If I didn't know any better... I'd say it was Tom Jenkins under that mask. If a gangster gets lucky, he can escape Silver Fist, but he will never outrun Silver Streak, the fastest man in New York. He's almost as fast as Olympic champion sprinter Charlie Paddock. The two have even raced each other and are, pardon me, fast friends. And who's this beauty? Why, it's none other than Silver Fox. She's no stenographer, She's America's favorite vigilantess. But gentlemen, don't get any ideas about letting her catch you. Silver Fox handles the apprehension of criminal women, because upholding American values means upholding common decency. And when the ladies are behaving themselves, she makes quite a mascot. Wowza! So if you see bootleggers or scofflaws in your neighborhood, tell your operator that you want to talk to the Silver Sabres. Help keep New York safe with the Silver Sabres. And now, back to our show.
Vivian. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wake you. No, no, I'm all right. I, I just got my bell rung, as the army boys say. Yes, it's blood, but it's stopped. Head wounds bleed a great deal, even if they aren't serious. It's not. She sells seashells by the seashore. Look, my hands are completely steady. Mother got you a kitten for your tenth birthday, and you broke down crying because you knew it would die one day. Father gave it to a secretary, and when the cat did die, some fifteen years later, you attended the funeral. My head is fine. Stop fussing. Bofa, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be in the hotel. Please tell me you're at the hotel tonight. Tell me someone saw you. Okay, okay, good. I was afraid that father had rumbled us, but if you were with him... It's fine. It's just a bruise. I checked. Mr. Gao took a look at it before he drove me here. This isn't the first time I've gotten busted up. Remember when we took that vase from the governor's mansion? I got thrown out a window. Hey, the only reason I didn't stick that landing was because the buckle on my boot snapped off when it hit the windowsill. There was nothing I could do about it, so I did my best on the landing. When I cracked my ankle, I protected my face and let the momentum carry me into the roll. <sighs> I Ching, darling, I played that by the book. Over the last few weeks, the Vigilance Committees of New York have begun sharing intelligence. There's some newspaper spitting invectives about vigilantes creating anarchists, like the Virago. If the public outcry around her gets much louder, the committees are worried that the police will start withdrawing their charters. A call came in that she had been spotted. We fed the grapevine a story about me being a specialist. I knew her, is how it went. I was the Persian to her phantom. That gave us some breathing room. The Silver Sabres have four field operatives, and it was all hands. From the location given to us by the network, we guessed that she was making for a yippity bottling plant in Queens. When we arrived, we found an employee door broken open and knew she must be inside. Silver Streak reconnoitered the perimeter while the rest of us went in. Silver Star stayed at the entrance we had used, while Silver Fist went in search of another possible exit. Silver Fox and I went through the plant, sweeping for signs of her. The five of us had radios, but we used them only sparingly for security purposes. As soon as I got your message, I lit out. With Benjamin Simontown, I had to move as quickly as I could. I had hoped that the Harbenadine would be in a single large cache. When you told me that there were three roughly equal caches, it spurred me further. I had no idea how quickly Sime would be on to me. It would have been impossible to hit all three in one night. I could only carry two bombs safely, and once the first one went off, I would only have a few hours to set the second. And only that if we were very lucky. As soon as father found out that one of his plants had been attacked, he would get every man at his disposal to the others. Syme would certainly be at one of them. Father might have even called upon the vigilance committees. However, if I could eliminate two of the caches, it would set Yippity production back by months. It might have even generated enough press that someone would really start looking at the stuff. That scrutiny might have halted the practical tests on the vaccine project. And if someone actually found something, 
even if it didn't stop production, it would mean only one in three bottles would be tainted. It would have saved lives. I had to try. I decided to go for the plant in Queens first. It's the central plant. If I had gone for the north or east plants, they would have guessed that Queens would be next. However, by hitting the central one, they would have to spread out their security response to both of the remaining plants. If they arrived before I could set the second bomb, there would be fewer men for me to get past, as well as reduce the number of possible deaths. The Queen's plant was dark when I arrived, and I decided to just break open one of the doors. There was no one there to hear it, and I wanted an easy exit once the clock was set. That idea, however, quickly became impossible. I'd only been inside for ten minutes when I heard footfalls. There were two possible targets inside the plant. The first was the bottling apparatus itself. Sabotaging the equipment would certainly halt production for a while. Plus, machines like that are prime targets for anarchists and labor provocateurs. Her other possible target was the poisonous additive. She might simply dump it all out and neutralize the danger. Being a newspaper woman, that struck me as her most likely target. The police arrive and find a lake of some strange chemical. Questions would be asked, and that could be her opportunity to publish the intelligence she gave you. I believed the chemical was the most likely target. I told Silver Fox to sweep the bottling equipment, while I made for the large vats. While I made for the large vats. They were kept along a high network of catwalks. I did my best to stay quiet as I ascended the stairs and crept along the steel walkways that threatened to jangle and creak with every step that I took. Not quietly enough, though. It took me too long to find the right vat. The labels on the damn things are so small, and I had to be careful with my flashlight. There was some light coming in through the windows, but the flashlight beam would have been a dead giveaway. Listening for the footsteps, trying to figure out how close they were getting, distracted me, slowed me down. I heard one start making their way up to where I was. It was definitely a man's feet. But he was trying to be stealthy. That made him slow. Still, Benjamin Symes' men weren't going to try to arrest me. Hired guns like that. He was liable to start shooting the minute he saw me. My heart was in my ears, and I was trying to read the labels. I found it, and a moment later I heard a footfall near me. Instinct took over. I grabbed a kunai from my belt and hurled it towards the sound. I turned a corner and saw her. She was crouched beside one of the vats with a flashlight, trying to read the content label. Suddenly she whipped around, and, in her flashlight beam, I saw something flying towards me. I jumped back, just as some kind of metal spike impacted on another vat where my head might otherwise have been. I don't want to hurt you. I know who you are, Friday, and I know what you're trying to do. You won't stop me. I'm far more dangerous than you can imagine. Let's just talk, all right? I have a proposition for you, but this isn't an ideal spot for a conversation. Why don't you run back to your master and beg for forgiveness? He's less likely to kill you. Young miss, I promise there's no need for us to fight. I'm going to step out now with my hands up as a sign of good faith. He jumped out of the way of my kunai, but in throwing it, I swung my flashlight towards him. For a moment, 
I caught sight of him. He was dressed in grey with some kind of hood over his face. There were three red lines across the front, like scars from a tiger's claw. I had expected Symes' men to use force, but if they were wearing masks, they certainly planned to kill me. I don't want to have to hurt you. I know who you are, baby. And I know what you're trying to do. I won't let you stop me. I'm not some debutante who's going to shrink from a fight. Ah, baby. I just want to talk. Why don't we go someplace nice and get to know each other? Why don't you go back to your boss and tell him you couldn't find me? If you stay, you'll be putting yourself in mortal danger. You ain't gonna hurt me, little girl. I'm gonna come get you, and I won't even need a weapon to do it. As soon as I stepped out, she threw another of those spikes at me. As soon as he stepped out, I threw another kunai at him. I rushed in. I needed to subdue her. It was the only way to get her to listen. He rushed me. I needed to subdue him quickly so I could set the bomb before his comrades arrived. I got in close and she tried to kick me in the head. I blocked the kick with my left and punched the inside of her leg with my right. As she pulled her leg back, she swung the flashlight at me and I barely had time to turn my head. It caught the edge of my jaw. It stung, but I was okay. I grabbed at her arm, trying to get the flashlight away from her, but she hit me in the wrist before I could. As she wound up for another hit with the flashlight, I lunged at her. I got my left arm under hers and across her chest. She tried to spin out of my grip, but I got hold of her shoulder and pulled her back to me. That let me get my right arm under her other side and put her in a full Nelson. Once he was in range, I tried to kick him off the catwalk, but he threw his shoulder into it. Then, he pushed my leg away with his other hand. With both of his hands extended, his head was unguarded, so I bashed him in the face with my flashlight. It stunned him for a moment. I tried to kick again, but he recovered faster than I expected and threw a wild punch at my face. I managed to knock his hand away before he hit me, though. Off balance, I swung the flashlight again to reset my body weight. In that moment, though, he jumped on me. First he groped me by the breast, and when I started to break away, he grabbed me by the throat and started choking me as he snaked his other hand around my back. He was pulling my arms out, trying to dislocate my shoulders. She was thrashing against me, and, in a moment of panic, I used the voice. Stop fighting me! He did something strange with his voice. It clouded my mind. I could feel myself starting to lose control. I don't know how he did it, but it was the ghost song. Fortunately, I know that song too. She started muttering something. It sounds impossible, but it was the voice. I have no idea where she could have learned it but I know that inflection anywhere. In the moment, though, I didn't have time to think about it because that was when the first gun went off. Podcasts are the newest and most exciting way to hear your favorite audio programs on the go, but you already knew that. What you may not have known is that the success and longevity of a podcast depends on you, our loyal listeners. If you've enjoyed the adventure, mystery, and heartbreak of this program, the best way to show your appreciation is by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. 
These reviews make the show more visible on the Apple Podcast main page, which means that more people can discover what you already know. When you're in the mood for cozy noir adventure, nothing satisfies quite like Neon Jezebel. But it's up to you to let the world know. So why not take this moment to head over there now and rate and review? Afterwards, you can follow us on Instagram at Neon Jezebel Podcast, all one word. That's Neon Jezebel Podcast on Instagram. And now, we continue with our show. How is it possible, Bofa? I thought that only members of the Red Silk Society knew how to do that. The Great Fathers were reluctant to even teach it to me. I've heard stories of white men learning secrets from the less scrupulous members of the society, but I thought that was just Westerners boasting. Somehow, Benjamin Syme has employed men who know it. Could they be defectors from the Red Silks? We need to look into this. We need to find out who that masked man was. Whoever he was, though. It seemed that one of his compatriots saw that he was failing and decided to hurry things along. Another of Syme's men had found their way up to the catwalk and tried to shoot me. I heard the gunshot and immediately released the virago. Far down the catwalk I saw the figure of a man. It was too dark to see much until he fired again. He wasn't wearing a mask, that I could see, and the virago was and the virago was clearly his target. There was no way I could close the distance before he decided to start shooting at me. You are blind! He stopped shooting and shouted something confused. The voice had worked that time. I started towards him when someone called to me from below. Mr. Edgewater! Is that you? I thought that was you. Looks like I get to kill two birds with one stone. It was Benjamin Syme. Evidently, he got the same information that the Silver Sabres had. Someone turned on the lights, and the plant was suddenly laid bare. I saw Syme below me with two other men, all carrying pistols. One of them had Silver Star hostage. I needed a gun. The man who had already shot at me was still mesmerized, so I ran at him. He felt me grab the gun and recoiled. I had him by the wrist and he tried to punch me with his free hand. It was a wild swing, but he got me in the throat. I pushed him back against the rail and he squeezed off another round. It was deafening. As he hoisted himself back from the rail, I smashed my forehead into his nose I was wearing gloves so I could grab the hot iron in his hand and rest it free. When I looked up, the virago was gone. The masked man let me go and used the ghost song on the man who was shooting. Then, another man was yelling up at him from the ground. Something had clearly gone wrong and they were fighting each other. It was an opportunity. I pulled one of the time bombs from my leg pouch and placed it under the vat. These men clearly wanted me dead. So if they got caught in the explosion, it hardly mattered. Getting out was going to be difficult, though, and I couldn't set the timer for longer. I had ten minutes and no more. I flipped the switch and immediately vaulted across the catwalks. I caught myself on a parallel walkway, then swung forward. There was a large machine below me. The top was mostly flat. 
As I swung forward, I let go and landed right on the edge. My left foot almost slipped off and I felt my ankle twist, the same ankle I hurt at the governor's mansion. For a moment, I couldn't move, and in that moment, I saw another of Syme's goons. This one wasn't wearing a mask. He had a gun trained on a woman who was wearing what looked like a silver bathing suit, with a cape, boots, and a small mask. She was clearly a vigilante. I didn't know what was going on, but I was losing time. I threw another kunai at the man and hit him squarely in the neck. The woman didn't waste time being surprised. She jumped him and started trying to get the gun from his hand. I climbed off the machine as quickly as I could, my ankle shooting pain the whole way down. Syme's men were carrying Colt 45s. It's a seven-round magazine, and the Palooka had fired three already. I was in no position to have a shootout with Syme, and that throat punch meant I couldn't reliably use the voice on him again. Plus, he had at least one hostage. The safest thing I could do was run. It was me he was after. No reason to shoot Silver Star if I fled. I got down the stairs to a landing, then jumped off onto one of the machines. In the now-lit plant I could see the loading bays. Four large doors. They would be loud getting out of, but that was fine. If Syme was chasing me, he wasn't hurting any of the Silver Sabres. I had to pick my way carefully through. Syme's men would be sweeping for me now. One crossed in front of me, and I pistol-whipped him unconscious. The last fifty feet to the doors were open air. All I could do was run. As I set off at a sprint, I saw the Virago heading in the same direction. She was not, however, aiming for one of the doors. I got as much speed as my ankle would allow and threw my arms across my face as I dove through a window. I landed on the wooden planks of a loading bay, rolled up onto my feet, and kept running. My outfit wasn't the sturdy leather of hers. I pulled my coat off as I ran, threw it over the jagged glass on the bottom of the sill, and jumped through. The virago was well ahead of me. I grabbed my coat and gave chase. She was making a beeline, but I ran on a swerve. If Syme's men started shooting from the window, I didn't want them getting a clean shot at me. A hundred feet from the plant, I heard something explode. On instinct, I turned around, just as a brick came flying at my head. I didn't look back when the bomb went off. I got behind a truck and took a moment to catch my breath, then ran back to the front of the plant where my motorcycle was waiting. A few of Syme's men were outside. They were all looking at the plant. Smoke was rising from a hole in the roof, and there was a glow from inside that told me something was burning. I fired up my motorcycle and rode off. I kept to the alleyways as much as I could. With my ankle busted up, there was no way I could hit another plant. So, I made for Mr. Gall's place in Williamsburg. He splinted my ankle and drove me home. I only got one bofa. The other plants will be locked up tight tomorrow. I failed, and we're not going to get a chance like that again. I don't know what we're going to do next. When I came to, Silver Fox was shaking me. She told me that I had to run. The plant was burning, and police would be on their way. 
The Silver Sabres only had four operatives on their charter. An uncharted vigilante at a crime scene like that would get them shut down. I took off my hood and got a few blocks away, then hailed a cab. We've lost her. We've lost the Virago. She knows what the voice is, and she knows I used it on her. There's no way she'll trust me now. There's no way we'll get her to join the Rosen Chain. Without her, I have nothing to trade to the society. They won't agree to search for Della Kane, and I won't find her again. I need to find her, Vivian. I need to find Della Kane. She's been through a dimensional pocket. That's what changed her. I've seen inside. I've seen inside the pockets. There are things in there. Monsters. I see them when I close my eyes. Only Della Kane can help me get rid of them. Isabel is written by Zachary Westbrook. Gabrielle Blake is played by Susan Day. Cranston Walker is played by Zachary Westbrook. Announcement by me, Camille Faucon. You can connect with us on Twitter at NeonJezebelPod or on Instagram at NeonJezebelPodcast. All of your episodes can be found on our website. Neon Jezebel.com